0: The reading today is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these events, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham answered, I'm here. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him up as an entirely burned offering there on one of the mountains that I will show you. Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, together with his son Isaac. He split the wood for the entirely burned offering, set out, and went to the place God had described to him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there, worship, and then come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the entirely burned offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He took the fire and the knife in his hand, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father? And Abraham said, I'm here, my son. Isaac said, Here is the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the entirely burned offering? Abraham said, The lamb for the entirely burned offering? God will see to it, my son. And the two of them walked on together. They arrived at the place God had described to him. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. But the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, I'm here. The messenger said, don't stretch out your hand against the young man and don't do anything to him. I now know that you revere God and didn't hold back your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a single ram caught by its horns in the dense underbrush. Abraham went over, took the ram, and offered it as an entirely burned offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place the Lord sees. That is the reason people today say, on this mountain, the Lord is seen. The Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I give my word as the Lord that because you did this and didn't hold back your son, your only son, I will bless you richly and I will give you countless descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. They will conquer their enemy's cities. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants, because you obeyed me. After Abraham returned to the young men, they got up and went to Beersheba, where Abraham lived. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God.
1: Pray with me. Gracious God. Cleanse my heart, my mind, and my lips as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your word and not my own, and that your people will hear the true message of the cross in spite of my failings. I have to confess that I have been feeling very, very tired. I have been feeling very worn out. I have been feeling very upset. There's a lot going on. I've been reading about how judges are acting in the law. It's not the way I was trained, and it makes me upset. I come from a time when people were ashamed to be racist. I'm not living in that time anymore. Um, I've basically given up on any kind thoughts about politics or government. They're not acting the way I remember them acting in the past. And I'm very tired with pandemics and reactions to them. And all of this, really, I'm seeing people being mean to one another. Gratuitously mean. And God help me, I'm feeling that way myself. And I was trying to figure out a word for this feeling. Tired doesn't quite get it. Angry comes close. Upset, certainly. And the word I hit on is dispirited. I want to go away. I want to hide somewhere. I want to go somewhere and just find a different place. And I'm going to admit that today's scripture doesn't do much to lift my spirits. This is a terrible story. Indeed, some uh, writers have called it the most terrible story in all of scripture. And that's going some. But this is the story, a horrific story of a child who comes as a miracle to fulfill a covenant, to be taken away. To be taken away by the hand of the one who'd done everything to fulfill the covenant. To be taken away in spite of that covenant. For a child, for a parent to lose a child is horror enough. For the parent to be the cause of that, is truly horrific. That there's a last minute reprieve does very little to soften this story. What do we get for today? That it's never too late for God to have a miracle? That it's never too late for God to bring to an aged couple a blessed child? It's never too late for God to act for our benefit? that's That's how Brian McLaren sees it in the book we're we're working with this year that it's never too late for God's miracle to bring laughter to bring relief. Brian celebrates both of the late life birth of Isaac and this last minute reprieve as being never too late. But you see, this story is actually far worse than you think it is. This is the first time in Scripture that God actually asks for a sacrifice. He won't do that again for many hundreds of years until he's with Moses on Mount Sinai. And it's important to know that he tells Moses, take, take, Your son, Isaac. Now, there's something that is lost in our translations. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for take is followed by a short word, na. And na means it's not a command. It's kind of like, please. God is not commanding Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham has a choice, and, and the Jewish uh, rabbis teach that Abraham could have refused and not been guilty because God was not commanding it. God was asking it. He could have refused, and he had three days to think about it, and still he acts. What's going on here? One way of looking at it is that God is hoping in Abraham. You see, God is testing Abraham, but not that he will blindly follow. It's a request. But rather, will Abraham throw away the covenant because God has asked him to? And Abraham passes that test. Abraham is able to give up the covenant and a promise to be father to all nations and the promise of the land by serving and obeying. And what does Abraham get for this? He gets the greatest blessing of all. Throughout the journey, God has kept to increase the blessing. And this is the great blessing. The Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I give my word as the Lord that because you did this and didn't hold back your son, your only son, I will bless you richly and I will give you countless descendants as many as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. They will conquer their enemy cities. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants, because you obeyed me. This is the great blessing. This is the one that gives the details. And with this, Abraham comes to his end. This is the last time he will ever hear from God. He never again meets God. Instead, he buys a gravesite to bury Sarah, one that he himself will be buried in. And he arranges for Isaac's marriage. In short, he is done with life and he's preparing his family for when he's no longer there. And through this, we fix on Abraham as a lesson of faith. But I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me today. Not in today's world. It's hard to have faith in miracles when we have sacrifices all around us. It's hard for me to think God will suddenly heal the stupid and the power-driven and the self-privileged to claim a constitutional right to do whatever they want to do. All I can seem to muster now is a hope that things will get better. And the question is, what are we to do when we go from faith to hope? How can I push back on this world? More importantly, how can I push back on myself? Who can I rely on? Our scripture points the way. It points the way of moving from faith into hope and back again. See, I'd submit that this is really not the story of Abraham and being obedient to God. Our Jewish sisters and brothers call this story the Akita, which means the binding, which means the binding of Isaac. And what of Isaac? Scripture is very silent here. For the last verse... Read after Abram returned to the young men, they got up and went to Beersheba where Abram lived. Abram comes back down the mountain alone. Indeed, we never again hear of Abram and Isaac together. We never again hear their words together or them being with each other. What of Isaac? What is it? to be bound and helpless and facing a certain death at the hands of the one who was pledged to save you and protect you and raise you and advance you in the world. And Isaac has no choice. How does he come back when his life is given back to him? And we find that out in following the life of Isaac, in the next chapters. You see, his life is different from all of the other patriarchs. He lives a different life than Abraham, and he lives a different life than Jacob or Esau. Isaac relates to others in a very different way. Now, I owe this insight to Rabbi Bradley Artson, who did a wonderful paper on this, Isaac loves his wife, Rebecca deeply. He loved her, is what the scripture tells us. And he loves her uniquely. He loves her in a very special, wonderful way throughout their entire life. And he prays for her when she doesn't have a child. Abraham and Jacob don't do that. They pray to have children, to have their own progeny. But Isaac prays on behalf of Rebekah. He's different in how he deals with others. He comes as a man of peace. Three times he digs his wells, and three times the Philistines contest his wells, claim them for their own, and three times he moves on. He gives them the wells. He's a man of peace. And he has inherited all of Abraham's people. He's inherited all of Abraham's wealth. He has more than enough to to fight. And he doesn't. And unlike Abraham and Jacob and Joseph, he never leaves the land that will become Israel. He never leaves God. This is Rabbi Artson telling us, Isaac did not measure wealth by the number of wells one possessed or even how much money one had stockpiled. His life, his family, the safety of his own followers was worth more than a few wells of water. Having himself been offered on an altar, Isaac was not going to sacrifice young lives for material wealth. Isaac was a man who knew the profound value of peace, a commitment that was well rewarded. Three times he permitted the Philistines to claim his wells. God blessed him and made him prosper. The Philistines were taught a lesson in human kindness and priorities by Isaac's behavior. Impressed by his grandeur and magnanimity, They sought Isaac out and exchanged oaths of friendship. Isaac possesses a promise, a fidelity to commitment. As the rabbi says, he was a loving partner to Rebekah, a man who went out of his way to keep peace with his neighbors and one who was committed to the land of Israel and the God of Israel. In short, he learned the importance of love, of inner depth, and of relationship while being bound on the altar. Can I do the same? I have to admit that I've had a great deal of difficulty in distinguishing between faith and hope. Isaac has taught me that difference. Hope comes when faith is left in doubt. Acting in hope, this this I can do. I can do it just as Isaac did it, and not in great things. I can do it. I can't do it in things I cannot fix. I can't fix the law. I can't fix our politicians. I can't fix the meanness that people show one another. There was nothing Isaac could do except to act out the life that God gave him. And that, my sisters and brothers, is all that we can do. And in many of my small things, as I go day to day, I can do that. I can't change the things I've allowed to make me dispirited. I don't have that power. They're beyond my control. I can't make judges rule according to law or lawyers respect the law. I can't stop racist actors in our legislatures or with our police. I can't make our politicians stop demonizing and lying and playing on my worst fears. And I can't convince those who don't want to be convinced about good health practices. And while I can preach to the stupid all I want, no matter how hard I try, I cannot make them smart. In many ways, like Isaac, I'm bound, but I'm not bound helpless on an altar unless I want to be. Our guide of cross is Jesus Christ. He was not bound, even on the cross. Something I've learned in this scripture when he said, Follow me. Like the God of Abraham, was it a command or was it a request? Is Jesus putting his hope in us like God put his hope in Abraham? In his hope, we can act in ways that allow us to be inspirited, like Isaac. When Jesus says, follow me, I think like God to Abraham, we can put a please on that. That Jesus is very real, in a very real way, each day is taking a chance on us. And when God takes a chance on us, hope goes both ways. We can hope in God and God can hope in us. And we can act in hope with Jesus as our guide. We can act with others, not as a victim for dispirit, but instead we can choose to put Christ in our spirit. We can follow Jesus and not the six o'clock news. Like Isaac, we can choose how we can live in relationships with those around us and with our God. I think that's why Reverend McLaren gives the passage from Micah chapter six with his readings of Abraham. Sarah and Isaac. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, that may be the minimal necessary for an organized society, but, but we need to start somewhere. And with that, like Micah, we can walk the razor edge of hope with confidence to our faith. Amen.